No charges in the death of Miles Gray. It is a travesty of justice that nobody is being held accountable. The encounter with Vancouver police that remains shrouded in mystery. Surrey teachers say they're not safe. We took a vote to write an open letter, and so I wrote the open letter. Their open letter to Dr. Henry demanding changes. And a B.C. distiller toasting success through the pandemic. How they're winning with whiskey. You're watching Global B.C. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Seven Vancouver police officers will not face charges for their role in a violent arrest back in 2015 that ended in the death of 33-year-old Miles Gray. Gray's family got the news today after multi-year investigations by BC's police watchdog and prosecution service. Sarah McDonald has more on the mystery that still surrounds this case and reaction from the devastated family. 1,952 days since Miles Gray died unarmed in a fatal altercation with seven Vancouver police officers. We now know inconsistent evidence from those officers involved contributed to no charges being laid. So mad. And still no answers for his grieving family. He was pepper sprayed, chained up, and handcuffed. So he was incapacitated and that they beat him to death. For that to happen and nobody to be accountable to that, that is a travesty of justice. An exhaustive investigation spanning more than five years into one of the most high-profile police-involved deaths in the country, concluding Wednesday with the BC Prosecution Service declining to approve any charges. The primary reason cited? A lack of consistent and complete evidence from the officers involved, compounded by no conclusive cause of death. If you have somebody hobbled and handcuffed, why couldn't you just step back? He was suffering, and then they, they just did that to him, you know, and it just, it just hurts. The officers involved initially responded to reports of Gray spraying somebody with a garden hose. That call ultimately ending with the 33-year-old wholesale plant distributor in town conducting deliveries from the Sunshine Coast, suffering severe injuries and dying. There wasn't an inch of his body that wasn't beaten or bruised. That's not serve and protect. From the very beginning, Vancouver police have offered little in the way of answers about the incident. On Wednesday, the department still refusing to comment on the case beyond a written two-sentence statement and this. For everyone involved, this has been a very uh, difficult, tragic uh, situation. It's, it's, it's hard. We do know Gray, described as agitated and potentially in the throes of a mental health crisis, was dealt a litany of ultimately fatal blunt force blows in less than 10 minutes out of sight of any civilians after a short pursuit along the Vancouver-Burnaby border. The only witnesses... The officers, some who initially refused to fully cooperate with the province's police watchdog, and then, according to its report, also initially refused to cooperate with the B.C. Prosecution Service, which took 21 months to conclude its investigation, in which initially officers would only provide accounts of their own actions, but refused to elaborate on those of the other officers. There may well be people who are disappointed by this, um, however, at the end of the day, uh, the system uh, has um, run its course and it, we must accept the decisions that are made by that system. The autopsy report, a grim laundry list of trauma, hemorrhaged and ruptured testicles, 
a blown out fractured eye socket, his jaw bilaterally dislocated, his nose broken, his sternum, rib and voice box fractured, his neck and throat significantly bruised and hemorrhaged with more bleeding in his brain. We now know Gray was not only pepper sprayed, but handcuffed and hobbled, his hands and feet bound. After he was hobbled, that there's evidence that he was kicked in all places of his body, beaten with batons. There's evidence, but because the VPD do not have to talk about anything, they are getting away with murder. Toxicology tests revealed no illegal drugs in Gray's system, but did find he'd consumed a regulated herbal supplement called Kratom. In small amounts, it serves as a stimulant. Taken in larger doses, it's used for pain relief and anxiety. During his pursuit and arrest, two officers also sustained minor injuries. One scratched by a tree branch, the other punched in the face, though it's not clear by who. It's just not right. It's, it's cowardly. It's so cowardly. The charges considered by Crown, but ultimately not approved. Manslaughter, aggravated assault, and assault causing bodily harm. The officers, once facing the potential of criminal charges, now technically exonerated, at least in the eyes of the courts. We live in a system of law, and that law has totally failed us. All seven officers who remain unidentified are all still employed with the Vancouver Police Department. The Gray family's remaining option for recourse is a civil suit with the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner now launching its own investigation. Sarah McDonald, Global News, Seashells. Vancouver Police have arrested a suspect in Tuesday's fatal stabbing at the Biltmore Hotel. 72-year-old Alex Gortmaker was assaulted at the hotel near 12th and Kingsway at around 2.40 yesterday afternoon, he died shortly after that. Police say later that evening they arrested a 27-year-old man in connection with the attack. He remains in custody. This is the city's 19th homicide of 2020. And following months of investigative work, an undercover operation targeting the fentanyl supply chain in B.C. has resulted in three arrests and a massive seizure. Law enforcement agencies involved in Project Juliet raided five homes on the Lower Mainland and three in Victoria. They seized 12 kilograms of fentanyl, four kilograms of meth, a kilogram each of cocaine and ecstasy, along with hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash, weapons and luxury cars. An additional search warrant executed at a storage unit in Coquitlam resulted in the seizure of body armor, firearms, silencers and ammunition. Police estimate the amount of fentanyl seized could have supplied nearly 4 million lethal doses. An update now on a heartbreaking fatal collision in Surrey we told you about last night. A witness says the mother, struck and killed by a runaway cargo van, should be hailed as a hero for saving the lives of her two young children just before she died. Grace Key has the story. As the van was approaching, she probably only had maybe three or four seconds to react. It was that quick. Jerry Barr says the mother who tragically lost her life on Tuesday in Surrey saved her two daughters from a runaway van. She pushed them out of the way to save them and she put herself in a horrible position, you know, to save the two kids. And unfortunately she went down in between this tree and landed right in up against this fence right there. Jerry jumped out of his car and was by the mother's side within seconds. Her eyes were fluttering a bit and her eyes were open for about maybe 10 seconds and I was trying to get her to keep her eyes open and stay awake. I said, hey, how's it going, sweetie? I thought it was a kid. And I was like, hey, you gotta wake up for me and the kids are fine and, and I took her mask off and 
I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is not a kid. The mother was walking her kids home from school when the van headed down 141st near 61A Avenue, hit a vehicle and jumped the curb. The driver was not inside the vehicle and um, the investigation is still in progress. The van is part of a delivery service used by Amazon. A statement reads, our thoughts and deepest sympathies are with the family and loved ones during this difficult time. We are working with law enforcement and the delivery service partner as they investigate. Even the driver came up to me. He never said a word. His hands were on the top of his head. He didn't say a word. His eyes were wide open. Jerry says he wants the family to know the mother did everything she could to save the children. When I went up to her, I said, the kids are okay. Uh, Don't worry about it. The kids are okay. And I, I don't know if she understood that. I hope she did. And knowing that, you know, her actions, you know, saved the kids. She gave them their, her final Christmas gift. You know, life. Grace Key, Global News. Turning to the COVID-19 pandemic now, starting next week, the province will receive weekly vaccine deliveries for clinics in every health region throughout the province. We'll take a look now at today's infection numbers. We have 640 new cases. That brings BC's total to 44,103. Tragically, 24 more people have died. That means that we've now lost 692 people to complications from the virus. 362 are in hospital, 91 patients in the ICU. 32,376 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 9,950 active cases and 10,538 people in self-isolation. Let's bring in Keith Baldry right now for more on today's numbers. And Keith, who will be getting the vaccine in the first few months of the rollout? We have some more information on that, Keith. Yeah, I got a breakdown from the health ministry uh, today, Chris, of just who goes first in this. And this, we're talking about the first wave of vaccinations between now and the end of March. The goal is to uh, inoculate 380,000 people. Here are the people who are going to qualify for the first wave of inoculations. First of all, 240,000 pe- uh, people over the age of 80. They're the most vulnerable to the virus. So they're uh, first, but not at the head of the line. Actually, 37,000 long-term care workers because they will have access to the Pfizer vaccine more readily than elderly people in long-term care. 30,000 long-term care residents also in the first grouping. On top of that, 17,000 people who live in assisted living, because those are elderly people, also in this grouping. 20,000 acute care uh, frontline health care workers, people working COVID units, ICUs, emergency rooms and such. And finally, roughly 35,000 other people, uh, particularly rural indigenous communities, uh, shelters, homeless, people who are uh, particularly susceptible to the worst outcomes of the virus. So the goal is 380 thousand by the end of March and it's going to start happening very quickly the the doses are arriving in BC in bigger batches tens of thousands in the coming weeks after March then another wave goes and that's first responders uh, essential service workers such as teachers uh, grocery store uh, uh, manufacturing transportation workers and then it will be based on age the older you are the quicker you're going to have access to the vaccine over the summer and the goal is to get everybody done by September. All right, long way, long road ahead of us for sure. But uh, thanks for the update, Keith. 
Big White has now fired a number of staff after Interior Health declared a COVID cluster at the ski resort. The resort says the employees were let go for failing to follow the company's health protocols and guidelines. There are now at least 60 cases of COVID, mostly tied to on-hill staff accommodation and a number of social gatherings hosted there. While Big White says the hill is still a safe place for visitors, RCMP say they will be increasing their presence at the resort and issuing fines to people who do not comply with provincial public health orders. There is yet more pressure tonight on Dr. Bonnie Henry to strengthen COVID-19 measures in B.C. schools. The Surrey Teachers Association is writing an open letter to B.C.'s top health official with a simple message. We are not safe. Richard Zussman reports. Classroom fear. We feel that we are unsafe in our workplace. The Surrey Teachers Association sending this letter to Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry. We are not safe, it reads. We teach in the Fraser Health region and Surrey schools are impacted daily by COVID-19. It's a pandemic. It's not going well in Surrey as far as we can tell. Right now, there are 38 Surrey schools with virus exposures. But according to health officials, there has been limited spread of the virus in the school setting. The concerns that they put in the letter are concerns we've heard and talked with them about many times. And uh, I think Dr. Henry often has opportunities on her daily briefings to take questions from reporters. I'm, I'm sure this will be one of the questions. One suggestion is to extend the winter break in Surrey, with the assumption holiday visits could continue to drive the spread of COVID-19. The province ruling it out, arguing students are actually safer in schools than outside of them. We suggested starting the first week uh, in a remote teaching way so that there's um, a staggered entry. They're not planning that. The other requests from Surrey have been consistent. More virtual learning options, cut in half the number of students in the classroom, and mandatory masks everywhere in a school setting. We're going to be having ongoing discussions um, about this. Uh, at the end of the day, we're, we're really leading with evidence here. It's not something teachers have been asking for, but one thing that has been suggested is they could be bumped up the queue when it comes to the vaccine. It's something the province has already ruled out. Surrey teachers anxiously awaiting Friday when they will get a break from their jobs and possibly the virus. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And UBC has launched an extensive research project to study exactly how the COVID-19 virus spreads in schools and other academic buildings. As Ted Chernecki reports, the results could help make students and teachers safer. You might think you're giving your work environment a rigorous cleaning, but are you really? UBC has partnered with two Canadian companies to try and help identify specifically where and how to clean for COVID. The next eight weeks, two high-traffic buildings on campus will be subjected to a thousand swab wipes that will be analyzed using a portable testing system designed by Luminultra. The tests themselves are run in these uh, little small uh, strip caps. They're just placed in here. It can do 16 tests at a time with results in less than two hours. With 16 tests, you can test multiple surfaces. And so really you could do a, a sweep of a building, set up a baseline, um, and then if an event occurred, uh, that would give you perhaps some indication that someone in the building in fact was um, infectious. QR codes on numerous services are used to upload data of test results. If or when the test turns positive, they can identify what has changed and who may be shedding the virus. 
We keep track of all the individuals that enter and exit the building, so we know who's in the building at a given time. And this is true of most uh, buildings uh, here in British Columbia. In fact, this is a part of the return to work policy. So we would know who was in the building at the time that the detection was made, uh, and then we would go and trace those individuals uh, and potentially uh, trigger uh, a clinical test. Teachers may be especially interested in the study as they are more at risk than most. Lord Tweedsmere, for example, has almost 2,000 people involved in that school, in that building, so there's just a lot of surfaces to be touched by a lot of people every day. Lumen Ultra has put out a white paper on how it went into a senior's care home in the American Midwest after a COVID outbreak and still found the virus there, even after cleaning unoccupied rooms. Results of the UBC study will be shared with the public. Ted Chernak, Global News. Santa comes up with a solution to the cancelled company Christmas party. What one local business is doing to bring a little holiday cheer to its employees, even if it is in the parking lot. That story in just over a minute. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And I see you do it again, you're gone. Actor Tom Cruise loses it on his crew after a violation of the COVID protocol. That's coming up later on the news hour. And an unforgettable day of pond hockey. How a BC helicopter pilot brought his friends to live out a dream skating among icebergs. That's later. Right now, though, with uh, COVID canceling traditional holiday parties this year, at least one BC business is thinking outside the box to thank its staff. Catherine Urquhart has more on the Richmond Company's contactless Christmas event. It was a bit of an early appearance for Santa. The man in the red suit showed up in Richmond Wednesday morning for an extra special drive through This year is real unique. Um, no no uh, in-person Christmas party. One after another, employees of Ashton Service Group drove through and were handed a gift. Because we couldn't do a Christmas party this year, we had a bit of a, a cash uh, gift for the staff so they could go home and spend some time with their family and hopefully you know, have a bit of a celebration at home. In an effort to support the community, everyone was given a Mackey's box put together at Mackey's Place, which helps support youth in Surrey. We know that there's a demographic of young people that are struggling, and COVID's accentuated that. They've made the difficulties even more. The event came about as Christmas parties everywhere were cancelled. If you just go back a year ago, we would be completely booked from December the 1st, about the 23rd, with corporate uh, casinos, different events, uh, you know, doing Santa stuff. Raising spirits over the holidays, especially important this year, even if those good wishes are given at a drive through <laughs> Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The pandemic is impacting yet another holiday tradition. TransLink says that due to the restrictions on social gatherings and events, providing free rides would be inconsistent with provincial public health orders. So the system will also be operating as normal. TransLink says it's pulling the plug on providing free transit rides on New Year's Eve. The popular program was started as a way to help New Year's revelers make responsible choices to not drive if they're drinking. So it will be on a normal schedule on the 31st and 1st instead of those extended holiday hours. Coming up, the joy of hearing restored. Right away I could hear birds again. 
The BC Hospital using technology to transform lives. And after COVID put her in a coma for childbirth, a new mom meets her baby for the first time. Traffic is steady both ways along Highway 1 through the Cassiar Tunnel. And good news, not too far away, just cleared a crash southbound on the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass provides no-cost windshield chip repairs with your insurance coverage. And Kermac donates 100% of their income from chip repairs through Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. An Abbotsford mother who gave birth to her second child while she was critically ill with COVID-19 has finally met her newborn son. Jillian McIntosh and her husband Dave were preparing to welcome the baby early last month when she was diagnosed with a virus. Jillian was put on a ventilator before doctors performed a C-section to deliver her 35-week-old baby. She remained on life support and was unaware her premature baby was alive and well until this past weekend when the McIntosh family says Jillian was eased out of sedation. When she tested negative for COVID-19, Jillian was removed from the ventilator and introduced to her son, Travis Len. She remains in the ICU for now, but she is stable. Well, we'd like to make a clarification about something we showed you last evening. The story about Burnaby Hospital used file footage, which we failed to identify as such. So we apologize for any misunderstanding caused by that. And to update the outbreak of COVID-19 at Burnaby Hospital, there are three patients who have tested positive for coronavirus on a medicine unit there. That unit is closed to admissions, but the hospital, including the emergency department, remains open. Well, if there's one positive takeaway from the pandemic, it has been people's ability to quickly pivot to develop new solutions for a changed world. One shining example is a team from Providence Healthcare using remote technology to turn on and tune their patients' cochlear implants without the need for a face-to-face -face meeting. Aaron MacArthur explains. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Taking social distance to an all-new level. How's your hearing? It's a virtual appointment, yeah. but it feels like yeah. the real thing. Uh, it's doing good. Good. For Alan Holt, this appointment is welcome relief. After a lifetime around heavy machinery, the retired pulp mill worker gradually lost his hearing until even hearing aids didn't help. His cochlear implant changed his life. And right away I could hear birds again. I, you know, I, gosh, I, haven't, I hadn't heard birds for years. St. Paul's is the only site in BC that does cochlear implants for adults. After his surgery, Holt would have to make the trip to the hospital for his annual checkup. Now he can pop down the Malahat and hook the equipment Great. up All himself. Connected. Great, so now put the USB part into the USB port. It is a struggle, but it saves a seven hour round trip to downtown Vancouver, and now the packed ferry ride. I had postponed my November mapping time because of COVID. I didn't want to go to Vancouver. The program is a collaboration between Providence and Island Health. The technology isn't new, but COVID gave new motivation to make it work. Now audiologists can fine-tune patients' implants remotely. Really quite seamless. It was kind of like basically the patient sitting right in front of me. The first remote mapping opportunities are for the Victoria area. More opportunities being planned for the Mid and North Island next. This program not only saves patients time, 
it's more efficient. Ordinarily, uh, we would be seeing two patients a day for follow-ups. And so with the remote mapping, um, we're currently seeing about three to four patients. This technology won't eliminate trips to the Lower Mainland entirely, but it will give people across the province access to their clinic without ever having to leave their community. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Still ahead, a stunning twist in the Gretzky memorabilia theft. Several pieces stolen from the hockey legend's father. Where it was found and who's facing charges. Also tonight, risky business. Tom Cruise tears into a movie crew for not taking COVID-19 seriously. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. Good evening. After clearing two stalls side-by-side side, eastbound at the west end on the Portman Bridge, traffic has recovered well through the Coquitlam stretch on the approach. Need winter tires? No time for appointments? Drop by Mr. Lube and enjoy stay-in-your-car tire service on your schedule. No appointment needed. Mr. Lube, ready when you are. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A former Mission Elementary School principal caught in a creep catcher sting has been slapped with a 15-year teaching ban. Jason Allen Obert was recorded in 2016 by the Fraser Valley branch of the group, which claims to expose alleged child sexual predators. Obert arrived at a food court to meet someone he thought would be a teenager. The province's teacher regulation branch panel found Obert guilty of conduct unbecoming a teacher after he admitted to exchanging sexualized text messages with two people who claimed to be teens and arranging to meet the apparent 14- and 15-year-old on two separate occasions. Charges of child luring against Obert were stayed by the Crown. Charges of second-degree murder have been laid in the death of a man whose body was found in Surrey back in June. A 35-year-old man with the unusual name of Invincible Green, also known as Vince, has been arrested and charged in the death of Carlos Robles Palafox. The integrated homicide investigation team says it's believed the two men had only briefly met before the homicide and that it was not a random event. Our investigation isn't complete. In fact, we're looking for further evidence about the investigation. We're specifically asking those uh, who knew Invincible Green. Now, that's his uh, legal name. He also goes by Vince, and that's uh, what he's known as in the community. If you have information, we urge you to please come forward. Uh, pick up the phone, contact IHIT today. Well, the search for hockey sticks stolen from the Brantford home of Wayne Gretzky's father appears to have ended in eastern Ontario. And now, in a twist, a provincial police officer is one of the people facing charges. Global's Darren Davis reports. Global News has confirmed 58-year-old OPP Inspector June Dobson is one of two people facing criminal charges as part of the investigation into a half million dollars worth of prized hockey memorabilia. The value of the stolen hockey stick is not known, but the owner of Golden Age Comics and Collectibles in Brockville says anything associated with Wayne Gretzky is highly valued by collectors. Emmond Christensen says a rare Gretzky rookie card sold for an almost unbelievable amount of money just last week. One of two in existence, uh, sold at auction for 1.29 million US. That is now the, the first million dollar hockey card. 
In August, the Gretzky family reached out to the Brantford Police Service to report several pieces of Wayne Gretzky hockey memorabilia missing from his father Walter's home. In early December, search warrants at five homes across Ontario and Alberta found multiple game-use sticks, hockey gloves, pants, jerseys, and a Player of the Year award. In a statement, Brantford Police Chief Rob Davis said, as a result of the work of our skilled investigators, over 500,000 U.S. dollars in Gretzky memorabilia was successfully recovered. A 58-year-old man from Oakville has also been charged with theft over $5,000 and possession over $5,000 in relation to the case. Police say the investigation is still ongoing. The Ontario Provincial Police say Inspector Dobson is currently on leave, but that leave is not related to the charges she's facing. Darren Davis, Global News, Prescott. In health matters tonight, a Calgary infant is believed to be Canada's youngest patient to ever be hospitalized for COVID-19. Nora Forrest spent four days in ICU last month after her entire family became ill. Global's Heather Urex West has more. <laughs> These precious first moments between sisters is something Jada and Ben Forrest are not taking for granted. And Hazel loves her. She constantly tries to feed her and then give her kisses. The new big sister making up for lost time. Too young to understand how sick little Nora was just a few weeks ago. It's okay, baby. It's okay, Nora. We all were getting sick and we all thought, oh, hopefully the baby doesn't get the cold because we thought it's flu or cold. Nora was born on November 22nd at Calgary's Rocky View Hospital. But a day after bringing the little girl home, Jada came down with a fever and runny nose. Within days, the entire household had symptoms. But Nora's were the worst. We rushed the hospital and I'm glad we did right away. Nora's oxygen levels were so low that the infant was taken to intensive care where she stopped breathing on her own. She was tested for everything from bacterial infection to meningitis. Everything came back negative except for COVID. Most kids who get COVID have only mild symptoms. Severe illness is uncommon, but it is not impossible. And there have been hundreds of cases in Canada where kids have been hospitalized. We've had zero deaths in children in, in Alberta. There have been just a small single-digit number, a handful of uh, deaths in children across Canada. But uh, um, definitely uh, young infants are one group where there's the risk of ending up in an intensive care unit and then potentially longer-term consequences of, um, of COVID-19. Can you say hi, Heather? Say hi. Hi. Hi, Heather. Nora's story has a happy ending. After almost two weeks in hospital, the forests were able to bring their daughter home. Looking forward now to a Christmas with a new perspective. Heather Urex West, Global News, Calgary. Sweet baby. Pretty cute. Straight ahead, sipping success after some pretty dark days. The tourism went from being a, a great booming business to zero overnight. A master class in COVID recovery from a distiller now thriving through the pandemic. And coming up in sports, how some of Canada's best skaters ended up on a frozen mountaintop pond. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. You will not be seeing this scene in Vancouver this year. Due to the pandemic, the annual Vancouver Polar Bear Swim in English Bay won't be happening on New Year's Day. Instead, organizers are asking people to take part in the tradition virtually. 
How would you do that? Mm -hmm. Well, they suggest you take a dip in a chilly bathtub or kiddie pool. They say about seven, seven degrees Celsius will do, and then share your frigid experience online. It sounds a lot like the ice bucket challenge in a, in a certain way. <laughs> it is, yeah. You know, we'll, see if, we'll see how many people get into that. Uh, I had my earphones in, Christy, today, and I could still hear the rain lashing against the window of the newsroom. It's been nasty out there this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Pretty nasty is right. I mean, the winds aren't too bad, but we're still seeing gusty conditions, Chris uh, and Sophie. Uh, but it's certainly the rain. It's coming down here and there, very heavy at times. We're certainly seeing, seeing pooling water on the roads as well. So give yourself extra time if you're doing any traveling. Here's a quick look at the areas that have had a peak wind gusts. It's mostly out through the uh, Strait of Georgia. We're talking about gusts up to about 80 kilometers an hour. For Metro Vancouver, we were in that 40 to 50 kilometer per hour, kilometer per hour range. Um, still a warning in place for the southern Gulf Islands, Victoria region. We could see some gusts up to 70 kilometers an hour. We could see some power outages. I have a new map here for you, everyone. Power outage index. It is pretty much negligible for Metro Vancouver. Vancouver other than to Wass and White Rock and it's still even at that um, just low so we're really not looking at much but there is a slight chance you could see a few power outages now it's more so the rain so heavy overnight into early morning hours uh, Fraser Valley the chance of rain will linger a little bit longer for you but overall we're expecting a dry day you saw that big dip there but it ramps up tomorrow night and we're back into periods of rain for our Friday and it means snow so heavy snow for the Coquihalla Kootenai Pass overnight tonight they may see a little bit of a lull in the action but still significant snow expected a majority of that for tomorrow would be tomorrow in the morning hours and then it eases a little bit in the afternoon but they're going to see another wave of snowfall tomorrow night as well so it's one thing after another that's for sure so there's your thursday forecast everyone the breaks of blue sky across the north later in the day some breaks of blue sky and through the okanagan valley and certainly across vancouver island tomorrow not a bad day for you although mainly cloudy for metro vancouver we may see some breaks of blue sky again chance of rain early in the morning but that pushes east quite quickly and we should be left with a mostly dry day and i'll leave you with your central windows weather window which i love life in the caribou these days jamie hughes sending us that one and isn't that a picture perfect uh, sort of canadian scene yeah it's got everything Back to you guys gorgeous sunset mm-hmm. hockey on a frozen lake a dog it's it's got everything thanks christy all right uh This is quite something. Social media is still on fire today with reaction to Tom Cruise's profanity-laden rant captured on the set of the latest Mission Impossible movie. The audio of Cruise lashing out after seeing two staffers not following social distancing rules was released by the Sun newspaper. A warning, though, some of the language might not be suitable for everyone. You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us! Because they believe in us and what we're doing. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And I see you do it again, you're gone. And anyone on this crew does it. That's it. And you too. And you too. And you. Don't you ever do it again. Then he said, you can't handle the truth. (laughs) Oh, no, that was Jack Nicholson. Reaction from both Hollywood stars said fans has been mixed. Some praising Cruz, saying more people need to get angry, and others say he overreacted. There's no excuse for that kind of tirade against coworkers. Could you imagine Dr. Bonnie Henry going off like that? I can't. I can't imagine that.
All right, uh, Squire is here now with a look ahead of sports. I'm sure they won't do it again. No, <laughs> that's one thing not. I will say. Uh, we saw that photo that Christy just showed mm-hmm. of, you know, a little bit of pond hockey there. Uh, we will travel to the mountains, a secret location between here and Whistler, and watch, among others, the Canucks' Elias Pedersen and Thatcher Demko join about a half dozen NHLers in the ultimate game of pond hockey as they await the start of the season. Beautiful spot. Also coming up later, if you can't go to the bar, bring the bar to you. How a Victoria whiskey maker has found a winning formula to survive the pandemic. They're still trying to stick handle the NHL schedule. Mm -hmm. They are, and I know I say this a lot, and a lot of other people do too. They are getting closer and closer. Uh, Gary Bettman said today, if teams are not allowed to play in their home rink, the NHL will try to arrange temporary bubbles to hold games someplace else. So they're not going to put the players in a bubble for six months. That's not happening. But they have to do it for a week or two. They might be able to pull it off. It's one of the many ideas and contingency plans the league has on the table right now. Um, and with that in mind, the Premier of Quebec today did say the Montreal Canadiens should have no problem playing home games there despite restrictions. He said he trusts the NHL will have all the protocols in place to keep things safe. He said the NHL has the money and it's not a garage league. That is true. Uh, The league still doesn't have a firm date for a return, but we've said it many times before. January 13th is the target. Women's World Cup ski cross, Moroso, Switzerland. This is the first race they've been able to get off this year. And Mariel Thompson of Whistler got a second place finish here. Former Olympic champion, Invermere's Courtney Hoffes finished fourth in the final. Fanny Smith of Switzerland was the winner. A battle between the top two teams in the Premiership. Tottenham against Liverpool. Mo Salah with the deflection and the ball goes up, over and in the net. So it's 1-0 for the defending champs. But Sun Young-Min gets open and ties this game before the first half is over. Late in the contest, it's Roberto Firmino with the header and the winner. 2-1 the final as Liverpool now has a three-point lead on Tottenham atop the tables. Uh, Seahawks tight end Greg Olson has come back from a foot injury he suffered last month much quicker than anyone thought. He will practice this week with the Seahawks who play uh, in Washington on Sunday. Uh, Will he be able to play in that game though? Giving Russell Wilson another pair of hands to throw to? Well, let's ask Pete Carroll about it. It it is. It's possible. Likely. Hey, you're really pushing me now. <laughs> Possible. We'll see. We got, you know, we don't, we don't have any idea. We have, you know, he's been working out with the guys. We've got to see how he does on the practice field. And now the ultimate pond hockey game, put together by helicopter pilot and filmmaker Bradley Friesen. This one was done a month ago, and we're told all the COVID restrictions were done. It uh, featured a half dozen NHL players, including Elias Pettersson and Thatcher Demko, as well as someone who really knows about skating, Patrick Chan. This has been a dream of mine for a long time. I've skated um, in icebergs one other time and they were very small and there was a couple of them. But, you know, Mystery Alaska for me uh, this vision of somebody skating through icebergs has stuck with me for my entire life. 
A month ago when COVID restrictions had been eased, Brad Friesen's dream became reality. Somewhere in the mountains between Vancouver and Whistler, the helicopter pilot discovered the perfect setting for the most magical outdoor skate. I've been doing this for 10 years where I've been trying to find ice. It's something that is available for a day, um, two, three days max, and then the forecast changes, either it rains on it, either it uh, snows on it, and then it's gone. This is insane. It became the outdoor experience of a lifetime for Elias Pedersen, Thatcher Demko, Alex Edler, and Zach McEwen. They were joined by former teammates Troy Stetcher and Jason Garrison for an unforgettable day of pond hockey. These guys have spent more time on ice than any person on the planet. You know, they are on ice and to have them go step onto a sheet of ice and go, wow, be in awe. And they weren't the only ones in awe. Olympic gold medalist Patrick Chan has skated all over the world. Chan was the first person carving and painting his own strokes of skating artistry on Mother Nature's outdoor canvas. Skating out in the mountains, it's kind of going back to the roots of skating and the roots of skating outdoors and outdoor arenas. Um, what, what, a, what an experience to reconnect with the whole meaning of skating and, and where skating started. For me, it's, it's kind of a dream come true. I've always dreamed of, of skating on um, glacier ice um, up in the mountains and, and that's what BC has to offer. And because Friesen is always up in the air as a pilot, he's always taking in the sights, which means he never stops dreaming. I don't know how I would top this. Um, the only thing I really, really have left on my list is I want to build a rink, I want to build boards, and I want to have a game. I want to have NHL caliber players playing up in the mountains. Now that would be a place to hold a Heritage Classic. Yeah, no, <laughs> That would be it. awesome if you get the boards up somewhere. There. Especially in an era where you can't have fans Well, anyway, that's right, so. so it's perfect. Now's the time. Thanks, Square. All right, let's check in with Andrew for a look ahead to Global News at 11. And Thanks, Sophie. The province announcing new measures today to crack down on COVID rule breakers in order to help enforce a provincial health order. Conservation officers, safety inspectors, and gaming investigators will join police and bylaw officers in handing out tickets. Meantime, WorkSafe BC will return to more in-person inspection of workplaces. And the Surrey poultry plant is officially shut down after 30 employees tested positive for COVID-19. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie, Chris. Sounds good. Thanks, Ann. Well, when we come back, how whiskey is helping a BC company survive COVID. Just helping a week. all of us, too. We Leave BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross. Flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. Now to our Believe BC series, a Victoria company that was making a name for itself in the world of single malt whiskey was hit hard by the pandemic. The Caledonian distillery and brewery had a rapid decline in business in the spring, but thanks to a few new ideas, they're now toasting new beginnings. Kylie Stanton has more. Crowded bar tables, drinks flowing, brewery tours, and whiskey tastings. 
Some might call these the good old days. So it will come a very long way. We've got world award-winning whiskies um, in a very short period of time. Graham Macaloni started the Victoria Caledonian Distillery and Brewery four years ago. The result, a Canadian single malt whiskey alongside a brewery. We want to have a touch it, taste it, smell experience. All while running hands-on tours and tastings, drawing people in from around the world. But then COVID crashed the party. The tourism went from being a, a great booming business to zero overnight. In March, a third of the staff was laid off, but Macaloni got right to work. Thank you very much. First, creating a beer garden in the front parking lot, complete with a marquee tent, heat lamps and socially distanced seating. That's been huge. It's been amazing. Like many businesses, it started to move its sales online, developing new products along the way. Folks can actually have their own custom label. And then the other thing was the mini pack. Whiskey enthusiasts can't get enough, but they also can't congregate in tasting rooms and in clubs. So Macaloni decided to come to them. Um, on that nose, absolutely, the big tropical fruits. In front of our pot stills, we do a live Zoom masterclass tasting. Lovely viscous legs. And it's been hugely popular. The success has meant not only hiring back the staff who were laid off. It's nice to be back to work. But also adding to the payroll. Everyone now incredibly grateful for the creativity it took to turn things around. Everybody put a little bit of time and effort into it and it, it, it worked out well. We may not be back here just yet, but with vaccinations rolling out, we're getting closer. Yes. Still, there are no plans to do away with the beer garden or virtual tastings. Instead, Macaloni intends to keep the momentum going, coming through this pandemic stronger than ever. We'll send our products all over the world starting in, in the new year. And that's something to drink to. Cheers and a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to everybody. Kylie Stanton, Global News. I feel like Kylie got the last sort of bar story assignment. She gets yeah, she gets those. And <gasps> she didn't she she didn't drink for this one. We were all quite surprised when she said that she was gonna <laughs> well, stay she away. Work, she is working. I think yeah, she assigned true. herself. <laughs> Listen to that rain, Christy. <laughs> oh, I know, and the wind is gusting here. Yeah, it's pretty stormy out here. Not a great night, that's for sure, but it should be much better tomorrow just for you, Sophie. Oh, thanks. Oh, looking forward to that sunshine. <laughs> thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night.